Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. Artificial intelligence, or AI, when you hear that term, it's likely that your mind is flooded with images from the latest sci-fi flicks you've seen, or maybe you have visions of robots taking over the world. Well, fear not, because the AI we're focusing on today revolves around applications in meteorology and earth sciences. We're sitting down with Dr. Jamie Sims, senior physical scientist with NOAA, who currently serves as the agency's special assistant for artificial intelligence. She's the agency's AI guru. We'll discuss the goals of NOAA's AI strategy and how we can use machine learning to help improve everything from numerical forecasts to interpreting the chemistry of exoplanets. What? And with all of the opportunities that AI has to offer, we'll discuss how the agencies are working together to access the latest technology and greatest minds to help achieve those goals. Jamise, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Thank you for having me. So I'm going to give uh, Dr. Sims her props because she is Dr. Jimmy Sims, but she's a friend and colleague of mine. So I know her personally. So I, uh, as I often do on the podcast, I'll refer to people that I know by their first names, but let's not um, um, make sure we understand it is Dr. Jimmy Sims. And she, I want to give you a little of her background before I really get started, but I'm going to prime you with a question that I ask every Weather Geeks guest, and that is how you get out, got into weather. But before I do that, let me just tell you a little bit about uh, Dr. Sims. She serves as the Senior Physical Scientist at the Office of the Federal Coordinator for Meteorological Services and Supporting Research at NOAA. She's currently based at NASA Goddard in Maryland, where she is a part of the GOES-R program's integrated team of NOAA and NASA scientists and engineers. Uh, she's the GOES-R series satellite product manager from 2016 to 2018, and was a meteorologist for the National Weather Service for 12 years primarily on the R&D side, as I understand it. She has a PhD in atmospheric sciences from Howard University and a Bachelor of Sciences degree in meteorology from Jackson State University. Uh, know both of those programs very well. And I hope that if we, we need to correct or tweak any of that information, feel free to do so. But let's get right into it. Now, one of the things that I like to do with every Weather Geeks guest is I like to know how did they get interested in meteorology? What's your story, Jamise? So it's a very uh, interesting sort of a around the way story. I grew up in Meridian, Mississippi, and you know Mississippi is in Tornado Alley. So we would often get tornado warnings, but we would rarely actually experience a tornado in Meridian. However, my mother, with all of her curiosity, would often take us to the outlying areas from the city that had experienced tornadoes, and she would drive us around and, you know, she would show us where the damage uh, from the storms had happened. And so I think that that early experience and actually seeing, you know, what nature can do actually planted a seed within me to be more curious about the weather. When I went to college at Jackson State University, I actually didn't know that they had a meteorology program. It really and truly is one of the best kept secrets um, uh, in the South, I would say. Um, they have an extremely wonderful program, but it was just not very well known to me um, or other students at the time. 
And so uh, when I got there, I actually decided to major in accounting just because I loved numbers, but I also loved science. And so one day while I was sitting in uh, my college algebra class, my professor, she said to me, she said, Sims, what's your major again? And I said, accounting. And she said, oh, no, you're a scientist. The way that you answer your questions, um, the interest that you have in, in what it is that we're doing, you need to go to the physics department and find out what they can offer you. And so after a bit more nudging, I finally went to the physics department. And that's where I learned more about the meteorology program. After understanding you know, what it is that the program had to offer, I decided to change my major uh, that next semester. And so starting my sophomore year, was when I actually uh, became a meteorology student. And I knew at that time that I really wanted to focus on um, improving forecasts to make sure that people really and truly had the information that's needed to take action. I was extremely interested in hurricanes, again, because you know this is a large system that can cause major damage. Um, and my mission really and Truly, even to this day, is how can we help people and, and make sure that they understand the impact of the storms that are coming their way so that they can take the necessary action. And so that's really how I got into uh, meteorology. And I'm so thankful for my college algebra professor who nudged me to go and talk to the physics department, as well as, you know, the advisors that I've had that have led me along the way. And, and you know, I want to speak to that because that's just an amazing story because it, it talks to how the influence of one teacher or professor can literally change the life of someone. Uh, Dr. Sims is now a leading expert within our field and the field of meteorology and atmospheric sciences and NOAA and NASA and everyone that she works with may not have even had the pleasure of her expertise had it not been for that little suggestion or nudge from her professor. And shout out to Jackson State University in the meteorology department there. Tell us a little bit about what you did your PhD work in. Sure. So my PhD work included understanding latent and sensible heat fluxes and how we can uh, examine them with our weather models, particularly the hurricane weather research and forecasting system uh, is the model that I used. That's, that's the H war for people that may be familiar, right? Yes, the H war. Um, and and what I did was I you know looked at the parameters uh, within H wharf, and I would would go in the into the code and actually tune them um, to determine you know the impacts of the latent and sensible heat fluxes um, on our hurricane predictions. And so um, in doing that, you know, not only did I uh, increase or improve my modeling skills. Um, while getting my PhD, it allowed me to work hands-on within NOAA um, in the National Center for Environmental Prediction. Um, but, you know, I also gained many experiences just uh, by being a student at, at Howard University. And so that that research that I did um, with H. Wharf and latent and sensible heat fluxes, you know, really understanding the air-sea interactions uh, that happen during hurricanes, um, it was actually an extension of something that I did in undergrad. Um, when I was in undergrad, Dr. Reddy was actually looking at um, an equation involving latent and sensible heat fluxes um, to try to figure out if we could predict would a storm actually turn into a hurricane just by the varying uh, latent and sensible heat fluxes ahead of the storm. And so, you know, that's how I became curious about the air-sea interactions. And I continued that work um, through my PhD. And so, you know, 
with hurricane models or any models, there are biases that need to be corrected um, within the models. And it's important that we understand each and every uh, parameter that we are focusing on in order to create the best prediction. And so um, a lot of the work was really understanding, you know, um, the science behind the latent and sensible heat fluxes, but also, you know, how do we use that in order to improve our forecast and, and warnings? And so um, that's pretty much what my PhD was on. Very. We're talking with Dr. Jamie Sims, NOAA senior physical scientist, and uh, the point contact within the agency on their artificial intelligence and AI initiatives, which we're going to dig deeply into. So don't worry, we're going to geek out on all types of things here on the Weather Geeks podcast. Uh, Dr. Sims was the Woman of Color Magazine's Professional Achievement and Government Award winner in 2019. Uh, she was also the NOAA Educational Partnership Program with Minority Serving Institutions Center's Champions Working Group Award recipient in 2018 and NOAA Employee of the Month in June 2017. And I know she mentors many students and colleagues alike. So it's just an honor to be able to talk with Dr. Uh, Jimmy Sims today. I know she works very closely with Admiral Gallaudet, who is one of the, I think he's sort of the second in charge or one of the top administrators within NOAA, someone that has been on Weather Geeks before the TV show version. So shout out to Admiral Gallaudet. I know you're listening and uh, hello and uh, thank you for uh, your great work within NOAA and also, Jamise, thank you for your, yours. I, I don't want to go to AI yet because we've got plenty of time to talk about AI. I want to dig a little bit more into your work that you've done in the satellite meteorology world. Tell us a little bit about that with NOAA and NASA. Sure. So in 2016, um, I moved from the National Weather Service to NESDIS, which is the National uh, Environmental uh, Satellite Data and Information Service within NOAA. And there I served as the uh, GOES-R series, uh, the geostationary satellite series, satellite product manager. And, um, you know, it was an extremely wonderful experience. Our satellite data is used in so many different ways, not only across NOAA, but with our partners um, across the federal government. And I had the experience to dig deeper into the algorithms that actually, um, you know, take the satellite data and produce the useful products for weather forecast or other applications um, for earth sciences. And so um, in doing that, you know, it, it allowed me the opportunity to work with some amazing scientists and, and engineers to make sure that our monitoring capabilities of of our, uh, you know, storms um, are really advancing as we have increasing uh, technology. You know, once the GOES-R series satellites were launched, the first one was GOES-16, which is now in the operational GOES-East position. Um, we increased the amount of data that we were receiving by 60 times, you know, and, and in that we have that much more data, we are able to see and understand so much more about what is happening um, in our environment and in our atmosphere. And so it was just an extremely uh, wonderful opportunity. Um, and I still work with, with satellite um, information right now um, in the Office of the Federal Coordinator for Meteorological Services. I manage the Interagency Committee for Operational Environmental Satellites. And that is a uh, committee that includes what we refer to as the Federal Weather Enterprise. 
And so um, when we look at our plans for future uh, satellite capabilities, we address any major issues right now that impact all of the agencies and things like that. Um, you know, it was great working with NASA those years that I was uh, in the GOZAR program um, because, again, I love to learn and I love challenges, and it definitely um, gave me that opportunity. Uh, it also allowed me to work with the uh, cooperative institutes um, a little bit that we have uh, within NOAA because we really depend on um, you know, academia, as well as private sector, um, in order to meet our missions. And so um, it was very rewarding, very challenging, um, something that I absolutely love doing. And we're talking with Dr. Jamie Sims of NOAA, and just an outstanding colleague. And I think she rec represents what I think many people that I know listen to Weather Geeks need to understand is that she she's had uh, several sort of different experiences within her meteorology career from working at the National Weather Service to uh, interacting across agencies with NOAA and, and the Weather Service on the very important GOES project. And now your one of your key focuses is with AI. And I, I want to spend a little, get a little time after, you know, we're going to take a break here shortly. But before we go to the break, tell us a little bit about what artificial intelligence is. And then after the break, we'll dig deeper into what, what Noah's up to. Sure. So artificial intelligence is pretty much um, technology that comprises of, of software um, that solves many complex problems. You know, we can apply artificial intelligence to almost anything to solve a problem. But what it does is it, uh, it adapts um, and expands human cognitive approaches. And that's why we call it the artificial intelligence. Um, included in that is machine learning and deep learning. And so what we refer to uh, by machine learning is really the mathematical models that are able to perform specific tasks um, using explicit instructions, I would say. Um, and, and then the deep learning aspect of it, it has networks that are capable of learning unsupervised from data that is unstructured or unlabeled. So just really um, taking data sets and, and learning from them using that cognitive approach um, that we would as humans, but it's being done by computers instead. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with Dr. Jamie Sims from NOAA. And as you just heard, she gave a nice definition of artificial intelligence. Uh, you know, as, as many of you know, I write a, a column for Forbes magazine, and Last year, I wrote an article and sort of I queried many people across the weather and climate enterprise about what's the next great advancement in weather forecasting and weather enterprise. And several of my colleagues came back with artificial intelligence and machine learning. And 
you know, that, that was sort of even a wake-up call for me, just how significant artificial intelligence will be within the weather enterprise. And I know uh, that in, I suppose it was 2020 of February, NOAA instituted its AI strategy for next-generation Earth science, which was signed in accordance with the president's executive order on maintaining American leadership in artificial intelligence. So uh, Noah's moving on this and Dr. Sims is at the forefront. Jimmy, what, what do you say to people? Because I think there are these perceptions out there among some that maybe don't understand what AI is, that it's devious and it's going to be robots and machines taking over the world as they learn more and learn things and we will be obsolete as human beings. What, what, I'm sure you've heard that. What, what, what would you say to people that think that? Yes, I've I've definitely heard that. And, you know, that's not at all what we're doing with AI uh, within NOAA. Um, AI is a tool, you know, that that can be used to certainly help us advance and be more efficient um, with the work that it is that we do. We are not going to uh, take over the world with with robots or anything like that. And, you know, AI has so many benefits, um, particularly, as I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, with the large amount of data that we now have, particularly um, as we advance our technologies, the satellite systems, the unmanned systems, you know, um, we we need AI for fishery surveys and things like that. Artificial intelligence gives us the, the benefit of being able to manage these large data sets and, you know, do our data processing much faster than what we could if we were not using AI. For example, we've seen a reduction in the time that it takes to uh, analyze data from fishery surveys. We've seen a reduction in time by 98%. You know, um, there are millions of images that get taken uh, from our oceans as we are surveying and um, you know, it, it would take a long time, approximately two to three months to um, to really process all of that data. So having that reduction in time uh, has even more benefits when we talk about cost effectiveness and reducing compute time. And so that's how we look to use artificial intelligence within NOAA. Um, as, as we talk about the weather forecasting, uh, artificial intelligence has allowed us to improve our models, um, whether we're talking about how we parameterize the models, meaning what it is that we're, uh, which factor it is that we are going to look at in order to produce our forecast from uh, producing much better imagery. Um, you know, I got into artificial intelligence actually as a summer intern student. Uh, my first intern with NOAA was using a genetic algorithm to locate the Gulf Stream. And that genetic algorithm uh, was actually used for us to determine if we should use sea surface height, sea surface temperature, or salinity to better locate the Gulf Stream. Um, and the result was sea surface height. But that's just an example of how we can use artificial intelligence to better inform what it is that we do, not necessarily to um, completely replace, you know, the, the human factor that we have. Um, it's extremely important to keep the humans in the loop and to make sure that we are able to use AI properly. Well, I, you just uh, took me back a little bit to some of my master's degree work at Florida State University because I also use some genetic algorithms to uh, develop uh, ways of locating landfalling hurricanes and radar data. So uh, it's really neat to see how some of that technology has evolved. And you mentioned something 
uh, Jamise, earlier when you talked about the large volume of data that's now coming from our satellite systems. I mean, the GOES, the new current generation GOES satellite has much more in terms of channels uh, that we look at in the spatial resolution. It has a lightning mapper. And so there's just so much more data coming in. And that's just from the satellites, not to mention all the other data sets that NOAA deals with to uh, produce our weather forecasts and our climate assessments and our fisheries and oceanic-related uh, uh, forecast and, and diagnostics. So from your lens, I mean, when you're, I mean, and I know you deal in the halls of policymakers and decision makers in Washington, D.C., um, distill down for us, like, if you talk to a policymaker and you're like, why does why do we need to invest in? I mean, and I think you've given them some sort of uh, groundwork for this in some of your answers already. But I mean, what is the sort of biggest bang for your buck in an elevator speech when you talk to sort of a policymaker or decision maker about what AI is going to do for NOAA or the weather, climate, and oceanic enterprise? So artificial intelligence uh, methods provide transformative advancements uh, in the quality and timeliness of NOAA science products and services. Um, you know, again, going back to the large amount of data sets that we have, uh, the AI projects that are going on within NOAA support big data initiatives by reducing compute time and cost, um, as well as providing data to partnering agencies that are ready for AI methods for disaster response and risk management. And so, you know, one of the biggest missions uh, of, of NOAA is to prepare a weather-ready nation, also to save lives and property, um, in addition to the work that we do uh, with National Marine Fisheries and, and Ocean Service with ocean mapping and things of that nature. And so, you know, we have these mandates in place and we have these overall goals um, from our offices of science and technology policies. And it's important that we are uh, using these emerging technologies um, in order to meet those mission and goals. Uh, within NOAA, not only have we released the artificial intelligence strategy, but we've also released unmanned systems, omics, cloud, and big data. And artificial intelligence has a link between all of these. And so if we're really going to advance, if we're really going to meet the needs of our public and, and citizens and do it in an efficient and cost-effective manner, we really need to uh, invest in artificial intelligence. And you mentioned your interactions with and, and, and sort of work with NASA and other agencies. I mean, talk to us about what you may know about how NASA, and perhaps you don't, don't know all the sort of details of what NASA is up to, but are you familiar with any things or ways that NASA is implementing AI technology and it's either Earth science or perhaps space science mission? And then also, how do you coordinate or work across federal agencies on this AI issue? So I can't fully speak to, uh, you know, everything that NASA is doing with artificial intelligence, um, but I, I will speak to, you know, how we are, are able to better manage our data and provide data um, to our partnering agencies, because that's, that's one of the biggest um, things that we can do, uh, you know, within NOAA. And so by using artificial intelligence, we are able to uh, better manage our systems. We can use it for quality control of the data. Also, we can use artificial intelligence to look at patterns um, in our data to, to make sure that as we are distributing distributing uh, data, um, and, and as we particularly move towards using the cloud, um, we will 
better be able to use artificial intelligence to make sure that um, the quality of the data that we are providing um, is certainly um, uh, being properly managed and reviewed. And so um, with working with the other agencies, a lot of what we're doing now is getting an understanding on how we can support them um, in creating automatic tools for disaster response and risk management. Um, we are able to uh, work with agencies such as the Department of Defense, the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center that they have there. Um, we also work with the National Guard um, in order to make sure that our data is AI ready for, for their methods um, and in the proper formats so that they can take our data and then apply it into uh, the, the things that they need um, to automate disaster preparedness and response. Um, additionally, we work with agencies to um, use our data as well as understanding artificial intelligence for planning um, purposes as well. You know, uh, FEMA is one of uh, NOAA's partnering agencies that um, utilizes the, the forecast and, and things that we produce um, in order to, um, to do a lot of the, the planning and decision making. And so um, we're looking to expand a lot on our partnerships as it relates to our science and uh, technology strategies that we are releasing. And so even though um, NOAA has used AI for over 25 years, um, you know, right now we're seeing this big push uh, for AI just because we have so much more support um, from the top level uh, government. And so as we continue to advance in our understandings, you know, our partnerships are also expanding. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with my colleague, Dr. Jimmy Sims of NOAA. Uh, and we, you, you just heard a nice 101, I think, of what artificial intelligence is and why it's relevant to the weather, climate, water enterprise which NOAA is a, a lead agency within our federal structure and system. And I think Dr. Sims is at the forefront of wh where we're going to be going within our agency. So I want to just thank, thank Jamise for her leadership on this effort as well. I want to now just circle, circle back to something that I mentioned early on. You, uh, the MPP or the EPP program, I believe it was, that you've been involved in, because I, I've had the pleasure of reviewing that program. Tell us why, why you think that program is so important. Wow, um, it's extremely important. The NOAA Educational Partnership Program with Minority Serving Institutions uh, provides internship opportunities uh, for, for minority students to really get um, an understanding of what it is that we do within NOAA. They are afforded um, hands-on experiences to work with our uh, leading experts in, in science and technology um, and in, in the STEM fields, really, because, you know, within NOAA, we have, um, we, we go from 
basically providing monitoring and forecast and guidance from the ocean to the sun. Um, so there are just so many wonderful things going on within NOAA and the Educational Partnership Program allows students to come in and experience uh, what it is that we do and how we do it. Um, I am both an undergraduate scholar um, from the EPP program and I was also a part of a program that is no longer in existence, but it was extremely important and that was the Graduate Sciences Program. And so the Undergraduate Scholarship Program actually provides two summer internships uh, for students and it also gives them support uh, during that middle school year as well. And so during the first summer, the students come in and they kind of get a NOAA one-on-one. Um, and then from there, they are able to choose what project it is that they want to work on and, and who their mentor will be. Um, so they complete a research project that they can present on at the end of the summer. Um, and then following that year, the next summer, they're able to go, um, you know, in, in normal times, they would be able to go anywhere in the country to a NOAA office um, that, that they can find a mentor um, to do some research with that next summer. I've had uh, a great experience in working with students, um, you know, who have been there during the summer. And they, the, the things that the students bring, I, I don't even know if they understand the value that they actually bring to us within NOAA. Um, one of my uh, former uh, mentees, Taylor Miller, she was a uh, student at Spelman College, and she came in, this was during the time that I was working in the Gozar program. Uh, she came in and she was able to quickly grasp what it was that we were um, doing during our intercalibration phase of the GO-17 and the GO-16 satellites. And so um, she was even able to take a look at some of the codes that we have, and she identified an issue that um, we had not recognized before. And so, um, you know, there's just an extreme uh, value of bringing in students and allowing them to use the knowledge that they have, um, especially as we advance technology, um, but also giving them the opportunity to grow um, and see how it really and truly is uh, working uh, within the agency. And so, you know, when we talk about training the next generation of scientists, we have to have programs uh, such as this to make sure that we are bringing in a diverse group of uh, students, a diverse group of expertise, and um, you know, really giving everyone a fair chance uh, to, to provide the knowledge um, that's needed to meet our missions. And you're hearing from Dr. Jamie Sims. And before I forget, I want to make sure I give a big shout out to Coach Joni Taylor, the head basketball coach at the University of Georgia, women's basketball coach, who happens to be a mutual friend of both Dr. Sims and I. So I want to make sure I give a, a shout out. I believe you and, uh, and Coach Taylor grew up in or near the same hometown. Is that right? Yes, we both grew up in Meridian, and we also went to the same church, St. Paul United Methodist Church. And so, um, you know, we, our families are extremely close. Um, so Joni, I've always looked up to Joni. Um, she's a, a really powerful force, um, very classy lady. And, you know, she's just such a joy um, to be around and, and to watch throughout the years. So I'm very proud of Joni and all of her um, accomplishments that she's had. Yeah, I, I second that. I mean, as a colleague of hers at the University of Georgia, uh, one last question for you, uh, Dr. Sims. Uh, 
I've had the pleasure of kind of watching you kind of quietly over many years from the point where you were probably a graduate student. And I've just watched you and I've just had this sense all along that you were going to be a force in this field. And you are now that force that I and I think there are even uh, greater things coming for you as well. And, 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 you know, I've told you that in the past as well. So given where you are now, Uh, in your career, what would this version of Dr. Sims say to younger, getting into the field, student, graduate student, Dr. Sims, or at that point, just graduate student Sims? What what would you tell your younger self based on what you've learned and experienced coming through the ranks as a a, a scientist in in our field? I would definitely tell younger Jamise to use your voice a lot more. Um, You know, we all have different personality traits and we all have different uh, experiences. Being in our field um, is our field is very challenging, but it's also very rewarding. Um, You know, I've had experiences of being the youngest in the room, um, being the only minority in the room. And I can remember, you know, as an early scientist, you know, kind of looking around and saying, oh my goodness, how did I get here? You know, (laughs) even though I know that I have all of the um, credentials to be in the room, um, you know, there would be times where um, I'd find myself just being a little bit more quiet than what I wish that I would have been. And throughout the years, you know, um, as as I continue to gain experiences and continue to, um, you know, observe how our field operates, I've learned to really trust myself and, and trust what it is um, that I bring to the table and how I can contribute. And so I think it's extremely important for our young scientists to know um, that they are gaining a lot of expertise and we need to know what it is that they are thinking um, throughout these conversations. Because once you have been in a field for a while, um, a lot of people, if you're not keeping up to date with technology and things like that, you know, you can lose sight on what it is uh, that needs to be done in order to grow and in order to support the new goals um, of the agency. And so when we bring in new talent, you know, we're really looking um, for, um, I guess, the the innovation is really what we're looking for. And so um, I definitely tell myself to speak up a lot more and to really and truly own my career. Um, And that's something that I picked up early on. You know, a lot of times we think that once we get into the field, once we get these PhDs, that um, things will automatically come to us. And that's just not the case. You know, you have to work for everything that you get. And you also have to set goals and make sure that you are communicating those goals um, to your supervisors and and to other people. Uh, Build your network so that you can really meet um, what it is that your talents and and capabilities uh, can provide, really being an asset, um, not just for yourself, but, you know, to the mission and and to the agency or the office that it is that you're working for. So the two things are use your voice and own your career. And as you've heard over the course of this podcast, uh, you can see why I've been um, very exemplary in my remarks for Dr. Sims, because that was Excellent advice. I, I couldn't have written it any better myself. Uh, and any uh, any websites or programmatic things that you want to point the listeners to uh, for NOAA or your programs, either on, on the web or on social media anywhere? 
Sure. So uh, within NOAA, if you're interested in better understanding the new science and technology uh, strategies that we've just released, um, you can go to the NOAA Research Council uh, website and you just take a minute. And, and they can probably just Google as well. You said it's the NOAA Research Council? Yes, nrc.noaa.gov. And that's where you will find um, the new strategies that we have released here. And we're in the process of developing implementation plans uh, for the agency to make sure that we are meeting the goals of those strategies. So there'll be a lot of things um, occurring across the agencies. Again, as I mentioned, you know, even expanding upon partnerships. So it's important for the public uh, to have an understanding of what those um, strategies actually say and what we're looking to do. Um, you know, the other uh, websites, any of NOAA's line offices, um, the websites that we have in general that you can uh, really start just with NOAA.gov and go from there um, in order to uh, understand what it is that we do within NOAA since it's such a broad range um, of environmental monitoring and information uh, that it is that we provide. So, um, you know, one of my hopes is to always educate people on on NOAA because uh, even though people are familiar with the National Weather Service, um, you know, we do a lot more as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Jamise, remind me again, who was your advisor, doctoral advisor at Howard? Dr. Gregory Jenkins. Okay, that's, that's what I thought. I didn't, I wasn't sure. So I want to make sure I gave a shout out to Dr. Greg Jenkins at Penn State University, who uh, was one of the leading uh, faculty members that helped stood up that great atmospheric sciences program at Howard University, along with our colleagues, Vernon Morris, Everett Joseph, uh, and many others before that. But those are the ones that I actually uh, know personally, though. So I just I, I know we both want to give a shout out to Howard as well. Yes, and I also have to give a shout out to uh, Dr. Reddy at Jackson State University. And I say that because he really laid the foundation for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was the one who really drove me to pursue internships and to also understand numerical weather prediction, um, which is really at, at the core of, of the work that I've done. And so I'm truly grateful for both Jackson State um, and Howard. Yeah, and I shout yeah, hello to Dr. Reddy as well. I always enjoy running into him at meetings. He's such a pleasant colleague to chat with. But that's that's where we have to end it. But before we do, it's time for the geek of the week. We like to highlight a scientist superstar, a great geologist, or weather weenie at the end of every podcast. This episode's geek of the week is Mike Nelson of KMGH TV in Denver, Colorado. He has been an on-air meteorologist for four decades and has been forecasting Colorado's weather for the past 25 of those years. He was nominated by one of his loyal viewers as Geek of the Week who praises him for talking about climate change on the air. Uh, Mike is also an AMS fellow and he is a, a great colleague. I've had a chance to interact with him several times. If you or someone you know would be a deserving candidate for our next Geek of the Week, check out our social media pages on Twitter and Facebook. Dr. Jimmy Sims, thank you so much for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Thank you. And we will see you next time. And thank you all for listening and continuing to hang with us as we explore every nook and cranny of the weather, climate, and broader science enterprise. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. See you next time. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. 
but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.